Welcome to a football show, Monday edition, and yes, we are back in our studio, the Cast Collective at the heart of Music Row. Wait, wait, at the heart of Nashville on Music I'm Row. On Music Row. At Cask underscore Collective, our wonderful studio here. This is a football show. My name is Braden Gall. His name is Zach Lyons, of course. You can follow him on Twitter at F-Words Pod. You can follow him. Uh, you can listen to him on the F-Words Pod, Broadway Sports Media, all that great stuff. You, of course, can make, make sure you're checking out all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network because we've got lots of things to discuss in the college football world, the, the Predators, Nashville SC, all that great stuff uh, across the platform. And, of course, our title sponsor on the show, the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. If you have a big decision coming with your house, hundreds of thousands of dollars, Zach, I don't know why you wouldn't make a decision with all the information. So make sure you do that by talking to the Kingston Group. Just have a conversation with them. You will be better off because you did that. So I promise you. It's only a conversation. That's all you need. Yeah, yes. Just, just a, a conversation. Just a chat, and you will be smarter, and you'll make better decisions for your house. So today on the show, um, we're going to have, you know, we spend a lot of time, because OTAs are going to be, be start tomorrow on Tuesday, and we spend a lot of time talking about Derrick Henry. I don't imagine Derrick Henry will be there for the Titans at OTAs. Oh, on, no. On Tuesday. <laughs> oh, no. He's getting his master's degree now, Zach. Uh, people are going to lose their minds. But the point is, we spent a lot of time on Thursday's episode really diving into sort of uh, what Derrick Henry is is going through from a decline standpoint, not on the field necessarily, but just the state of running backs and what the Titans have to do, decision-making. So that's going to be on, on tomorrow with OTAs. So go, go listen to that. Today on the hey. show, our Titans deep dive is going to be all about year number two players. We're going to dive into that whole draft class from 2021 and take a look at what they could do in year number two moving forward, because there's a lot of opinions out there about Dylan Radins and about all these other, hey, Caleb Farley, a lot of panicking that's already setting in, Zach. So we're going to dive deep into year two expectations, exactly how good were they in year one and what they should look like in year two. Some more fallout from Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, the gift that keeps on giving, of course, <laughs> Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. Some more fallout from that. Really, I think, Zach, now it's what does it mean big picture as the uh, SEC coaches head down to Destin for media days, or, or not media days, but the Destin spring meetings as they do each and every week. And who's next? Who is going to be the next, uh, the next duo of coaches that are going to be meeting each other in a cage fight over the NIL recruiting? I Can I give you what I would like to see? Yes. I would like to see Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. Really? Ooh, that would be good. Really enter this, this whole, this nonsensical cage match of ridiculous stupidity. The, the question would be, does Mike Leach even really care about any of this drama? Probably not. Lane Kiffin <laughs> oh, does, but probably not. But Lane Kiffin, what's interesting about Lane Kiffin, if you know Lane Kiffin, like off the, like he is this wrestling personality in front of the camera, but he's really not like that at all. When you get him off the camera, he's just kind of like this, oh yeah, we're going to run some plays. Like he's actually this really weird, chill dude. But anyway, that's beside the point. There's going to be a lot of fireworks and we'll have it all covered for you, of course, on the Thursday edition. But we got to start today, Zach. Uh, by the way, tell everybody to get involved. Where, what buttons they should push, all that Go good stuff. to the 440 Sports YouTube page. Click on the little bell that gives you notifications that whenever we go live, you'll be let known on your phone yes. or on your device, on your TV. And then you can go to the YouTube page and you can interact <laughs> with us in the comments. And, uh, you know, just join in on the discussion. We got a lot to talk about. We need some input from our audience and we, we would love to hear from you. Yes, uh, all the comments and questions, we will, uh, of course, uh, respond to each and every one of those. And again, if you'd like to book the Cast Collective space, this wonderful, beautiful studio we are sitting in now that you are back off IR, good to have you. Yes. Uh, make sure you go check them out on Instagram at cast underscore collective DM 
slide up into the DMs and they'll make sure they they uh, they'll they'll talk to you about what I'm you. I'm being told need. that apparently I look like I'm excited to speak to a group of teenagers about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ <laughs> because of the hoodie. I guess it's because of the hoodie. I guess uh, <laughs> Corey Miller is a, a fashionista who says that this is. Uh, I think this you look is, fine. Yeah, I mean, it's athletic wear. Uh, maybe get outside and go to the gym, Corey. Touch some grass, as the kids like to say yeah. these days, right? Go touch some grass. I, I think uh, what's the hoodie's an interesting choice, considering it's still 72 degrees and humid. And it's, a, it's windy, the rain, so this okay. is something that gets wet, and it easily dries. <laughs> you're See, from a, I'm, 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 a, I'm a man that thinks ahead. You're from Alabama. That makes sense. I, I've been in Nashville for 27 years. And I still have to wear no, like the cotton disappears in the summer for me. It's all this is even all I mean, maybe a cotton blend or something. I don't know what it's, it is. I can't. I, I have don't to look do, at tags. If I could wear dry fit every part of my body for the yeah. entire summer, I would do it. This okay. What this is what this is. All right. It's all dry fit. So humidity in this city is stupid. So are almost all of the people and media in this town. Not to broad brush the entire city and national media, too, because I just. This stadium debate, and I don't, we're not going to get into like what astroturfing means. We can if we need to. Gaslighting these terms about like how we. Is astroturfing gaslighting about, is that a term? I haven't heard this term. So, or you just you never heard astro, You never heard astroturfing as a term? As a term for gaslighting. Is that what you're doing? You're so they're two, they're basically the same thing, but two different executions of a strategy. Oh, okay. So astroturfing, not to get, again, not to get too political Let's here. Let's get into this astroturfing if, thing. If you got a card in the mail in Nashville last, or a couple years ago, whenever the transit bill was up for a vote, right? Gotcha, and yeah. You got the card in the mail that was like, this is going to underserve your community, blah, 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 all these bullet points. And at the very bottom, it was like paid for by outside companies, which were the Koch brothers, basically, at that point, which was outside billionaires from other states getting involved in our politics. That's astroturfing. That is them getting involved and trying to spin an issue for their best interests. And, and this is what's happening right now with a couple of groups in Nashville and some national media are doing this, but I think they're just stupid. <laughs> So I think some people have a, have an agenda because right now we have what the Titans and the city and the Titans in the city are in a deep, deep negotiation for what the stadium is going to look like, how they're going to pay for it, all this stuff. So when you see information, it's either PR or astroturfing. You're getting there, there's communication messages that are out there. And of course, Burke Nihil, the, the, the president of the Titans, had a big meeting on, on Thursday with the media, answered some questions. And even the numbers he gave us, you have to sort of. You have to go, okay, that's coming from one side of the equation. So essentially, and I don't know where you, we've talked about this before, Zach, so I don't know where we need to like specifically start this, but the national media, and if you read an article. Well, let's start with this so article. Yes. You're talking, listen, Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio, who is a lawyer, by the way, <laughs> who should know the ins and outs of this don't pay attention to anything about the Tennessee Titans when it comes to pro football talk. That's where I'm at right now. I think that's pro, okay. Pro football talk is uh, persona non grata for me. I do not care about anything that they say when it comes to the Tennessee Titans because they're constantly wrong. Right. And he, he, he is a former lawyer who specializes on uh, producing fear, <laughs> producing sensationalism and ruining a hundred dollars worth of stakes. Just one state. Oh, that, yes, that, that's that's a. The, and and listen, you can you can eat what however you want to your your wagyu steak, but at least cook it properly. I mean, yeah. even if you do, if you want it medium, that wasn't even medium. That was well done on the outside <laughs> and rare on the inside. It wasn't. It made no sense. He ruined it. If you don't know what we're talking about, go go yeah. go look so, it up. To me, he puts out this thing saying that 
you know, basically that the Titans are asking the taxpayers to shoulder the biggest burden of the new deal, which is not true. And he's just saying that because he wants to get clicks. He wants to get people in a discussion and talking about it. What's also not true is a, a fan, London Titan, that I keep seeing respond to all these Twitter things saying that the Titans are going to be putting out $1.7 billion. Where did you even find that number anywhere? <laughs> like, you're in London. I would just sit this one out. So the astroturfing that's happening is when you see a video, if you see a video on, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and you see like a line of parents like lined up outside of a yeah. school and all the parents are like trying to, or a daycare and they're all trying to log in or, or line up to get their kid into a thing. And all of a sudden you see the commentary. It's like, can't get our, can't get proper daycare in the city of Nashville, but we can spend 2 billion on a stadium. That is AstroTurf ah. Be- because they are not related they're, they This is the most important part. And Florio set it up for us on a T with that article, because at the very end of the article, he says, well, you can either spend 1.9 billion of taxpayer dollars or you can spend 1.9 billion of taxpayer dollars. That seems to be a big confusion. That those true. are separate. Those are separate entities and separate budgets and all that kind of stuff. So once and for all, if you would like to educate yourself on this, this is the show you need. This is the only show you need because no one else. And we've, gonna, just, we've done this before. Yes. And we're going to have to do it again. So here we'll is probably have to do it again. <laughs> right. Here is what the situation is. And if you have questions, please chime in. We'd be happy to answer them for you. So the Metro Nashville Sports Authority is on the hook for any, re- any renovations that are done, some of which are owed in, in, in arrears. Some of them they still they owe currently to the Titans. To, apparently, the cement concrete is crumbling at Titans Stadium, according oh, to the president. It's which, one of the worst stadiums in the NFL. I mean, it's not as bad as Buffalo, but Buffalo is yeah. getting a new stadium. It's not as, I think, Houston's kind of boring to me. Yeah, but, yes. I mean, that's a whole different scenario and stuff. But this is one of the more poorly constructed yes. uh, stadiums because it's falling apart. So anything that the city or the Titans, anybody that wants to do anything that costs any dollar figure to fix the Titan Stadium, we as Davidson County Metro taxpayers have to pay for that. That is in the negotiation. It's already been in writing. It's, it's, it's in the lease. So now, now Nihil put out some numbers. He said... 945 million. And then he said there's like another 894 million. There's been some pushback, rightly so, on whether or not those numbers are accurate because they are estimates on what it would take to renovate the stadium. So that's okay. Here's what you don't need to care about the dollar figure. Just know it's a big sum of money and that right now we have to pay for it. We are on the hook legally to pay for it. Otherwise, the Titans can break the lease and leave. That's it. Now, what we are trying to do is transfer those obligations financially to the Tennessee Titans and create revenue to build the new stadium, which again is about the same cost as a renovation. Now, here's where it does get complicated. And I understand people's eyes glaze over when you start talking about bonds and you start explaining revenue bonds versus general obligation bonds. But just think of it this way. The city has X amount of dollars that they have to pay for everything, right? Sewers, parks, uh, you know, police officers, firefighters, education, you know, whatever, like, Things that the sewers, you know, potholes, come on, Coop, (laughs) with the potholes, like that kind of stuff. That is our general fund, our city's general fund. Basically, dodging a pothole in Nashville right now is like dodging a banana pill on Mario Kart. It It is going to cause many wrecks of people just. And and let me say this. If you're visiting us from out of town and you don't and you miss a turn, we almost had someone hit us uh, when we were coming on Broadway. uh, Me and my wife did. 
And because they were going down West End, you know, they're at the split. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. just circle and just swerve right over. <laughs> you can get to the Broadway Street from West End by just turning down a side street. I swear to God, you'll be fine. <laughs> Please do not kill people. Oh, my God. Um, okay. What, were we, where, where was I yelling about? I was yelling about the, the, the general fund versus. So th- this is what you need to understand. Right now, we could be on the hook for anywhere between $1.5 and $2 billion in renovations. That is already legally agreed upon. So what they're trying to do is create a new agreement where all of that shifts to the Titans, but future and cost overruns shift to the Titans. But more importantly, when Florio writes those two numbers in that story and says taxpayer dollars, taxpayer dollars, that's not right. That's not factually accurate and it needs context. The context on the new rules, and we don't know the final numbers, but when you increase a motel tax by 1%, for example, which is what they're going to do. Right. That, that will, they estimate about $15 million in new revenue. So it is found money. That money is not, doesn't exist. It's not budgeted for anything. It's a different bucket of cash. It's not the bucket of cash that we are all worried about taking care of our teachers and our firefighters and our policemen and our roads and our sewers and our parks. It's all different stuff. So what they are going to do, just like the soccer stadium, is, is put these revenue bonds out, which the city does, is on the hook for in terms of debt major metropolitan areas are in the business of debt. That's what they do. Like when we build the Music City Center, you know, like that's what we do. Right. And so what they're going to do is, is it's, it's siphoned off from our general fund. So if my kids' teachers want to raise, this doesn't affect that. <laughs> this is not, this doesn't affect you, the police officer that wants to raise. And, and listen, it doesn't affect anything that keeps our city going at all. Can, can I say something about that tweet? Because I saw that tweet and you these are helicopter parents and affluent parents who are choosing this particular backed up daycare specialist. There are plenty of wow. daycare <laughs> places that you could go to. You just aren't comfortable with those places. You're going to this particular one. That's a complicated. You're opening up a big can of worms there. Well, uh, I as someone I with two care. kids in daycare. And <laughs> well, let, let me say something. I have, I have friends who have kids that, could never get a babysitter because they just didn't trust people. Like, give me a break. I had yeah, 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 babysitters all the time. And this is the same thing. You're just finding a babysitter during the day. So if we decide to spend $400 million, hypothetically, on a tax diversion revenue bond that is going to be generated by all the new development in this area, right? You go, if somebody from out of town comes into a game or somebody comes and goes to a hotel there or whatever, we're going to generate new money, new revenue that doesn't exist if this wasn't developed, if the city and the right. stadium weren't there. It's, it's exactly like the soccer stadium. There will be an upfront cost by the city, which I guess for the soccer stadium was about 50 million, right? You, gotta, you actually have to build roads. You actually have to do stuff that, that actually affects the city long-term. The point is, is they are not connected. They're two different funds and they don't affect teachers and firefighters and police officers. They don't at all. It's this other thing over here that's a separate bucket of money that it just it blows my mind that somebody responsible and who's a lawyer can write something like that and then connect things that aren't connected at all because all of this money is found money right now. The question is going to be, and I'm, I'm willing to bet you, as we get closer to a deal, you're going to see John Cooper, the mayor, out there on a, on a tour you know how when somebody writes a book, they got to go out there and do like the book tour or a movie's coming out and you got to go yeah. out and do the movie tour. Yeah. This is what John, Co- they're going to be close to a deal. And then you're going to see John Cooper's face everywhere. <laughs> you're going to see him on 
You're going to hear him on radio shows. You're going to hear him on maybe uh, one of 440's podcasts. We've reached out. <laughs> so you never know. We're, we're going to. I think he's going to be on, gonna be on radio everywhere. this week. He's going to be everywhere. And it's going to start because he's trying to sell us on the terms of the deal. Just like the Titans are trying to sell us on the terms of the deal. Here's the last thing that anybody needs to know, because I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I hate this so much, but I love it at the same time. It, the, <laughs> the amount of, like, they both need the deal. The Titans don't want to leave. They don't want to do that. The deal's going to get done. I, I don't, I don't, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't know why everybody's stressing out over the deal. Now, these numbers that Burke Nihil came out with, makes sense from a standpoint of how much it would actually cost because that's what they've been saying the whole time it's it would cost this much money and it's it makes no fiscal sense to spend and try to repair what's what's already broken beyond repair and they said that from the very beginning and guess what they finally got the numbers numbers backed it up they've pretty much everything is going to be taken care of by the majority of other people I would say, but like you, you're talking about NFL's put in about probably two to two fifty uh, million on top of the seven hundred million, which is now being directly contributed. Well, so far that looks like it's baked into that number. No, not, not from what I'm but, seeing. But we're not sure yet. Then that, from what I'm seeing now, yeah. that's that's I think that's going to be an additional a little bit of money, and then on top of that, I think that you're mainly letting the tourists pay for it. For the most yes. part, I mean the 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 part the the bulk of the money is not what basically what PFT said. Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio said that the bulk of the money is going to be put on the fans and the taxpayers. Yes, and I don't think that's, which is, that's not true. Which is factually untrue. It's factually incorrect. now now here's what people do need to understand: there will be right. a chunk of money at the end of the entire deal. There will be a chunk of money that does affect Nashville's general fund. Right. But that is going to be tied to building a road from Oracle all the way through the stadium down to Murfreesboro Pike so that you can get to the airport and will be a part of our city for 100 years. Right. So that just like think about the, the soccer stadium. It was $300 million with a $50 million upfront cost to the city that wasn't refunded through bonds and revenue stuff and all this other complicated stuff. And, and I think Cooper actually negotiated that down to about 30, give or take. That's, there's still, that percentage is about right. One sixth of the cost is going to fall on Tennessee, Nashville metro taxpayers, but that will be spent on infrastructure. That will not be spent on hotels or and the and the fight that's coming, which we've talked about. The fight that will come from this is going to be city council people that want that development to be that money in that development, that two billion dollars or three billion dollars are spending on development. The fight is going to be how does it all get developed. Does it get developed to help some Nashvillians? Affordable housing, green space, parks, roads, bridges, maybe public transit, God forbid, you know, those kinds of things versus is it just going to help the big business owners who, who own all the hotels or whatever? So right. that is going to be the debate. Just when you see 1.9 billion for taxpayers in Davidson County, just, just laugh right. because it's not what it is. Right now, there is $0. $0 right now in the plan are currently being asked of Davidson County taxpayers. So far, that number will be something at some point, but right now is a big fat freaking zero. That's right. God, I'm so, I'm, it's so frustrating <laughs> like reading this stuff. I just it, not, it, it's well, complicated, but it's not that complicated. It's, it's also, I think that the, uh, by and large, uh, I think Nate Rowell's doing a good job with it. I think yes, Teresa Walker's doing a good job with it. Uh, both of you be followed on Twitter. 
I, I think by and large, I think people that are joining in on the conversation with a microphone in front of them or with a camera in front of them really don't know as much as you do where the money's coming from or as much as where Nate and these other people that are reporting it and reporting it correctly. Those are the people you need to listen to, not the people that are in New York overcooking yeah, yeah, their yeah. steaks. Don't listen to that guy. <laughs> now, two quick notes, though, from Nihil that I thought were interesting that we can wrap up this conversation and move on. The two thing, the two notes that weren't like sort of budgetary related, although I guess kind of one of them was that the fixed roof is significantly cheaper than the retractable roof, which I think is makes sense. Makes I sense. mean, you got motors and all that kind of stuff, Court, electronics. That, so ma makes total sense. But I thought this number was fascinating. He said, and this can tell you, this is all about reading the tea leaves, right? They're right. telling you where they're thinking here. He said that retractable roofs across the board are open about 3% of the time. That makes sense. So if you think about it, so are we okay with a fixed roof then? It sounds like it's I was cheaper. okay either way. I mean, I know that I know that there are, are small contingent of fans that are going to be upset that you don't get the outdoor feel and all this kind of stuff. I mean, if you if you need that, just you know, have a kid and go to their football games. I mean, I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you because it makes sense to just have a permanent dome for so many reasons, and I don't know, open up something else or maybe just let sunshine through you keep, i don't yeah, know no you I mean, can architecturally you could design it to where there's lots of airflow lots of it, natural light lots of that it's fresh air is deciding factor the sounds of birds and traffic and sirens are deciding factor of you enjoying a game or not you need to reevaluate yourself because that isn't has nothing to do with, with enjoyment of football game the product on the field has to do with enjoyment of football game the people yeah. in the seats have the power to make a football game more enjoyable. So uh, it, this is also how you could boil it down. You're a Davidson County taxpayer. You're, you're cons concerned about how much it could cost. Fair. Totally fair. If it's $2.2 for a retractable roof and $2 billion for a fixed roof, well, that, that $200 million might be the $200 million they're putting on the taxpayer. So if you're willing to just say, I'll take the fixed roof and the ash and like the field turf, like the nice stuff. Right. There's a way to save $200 million or whatever the number is, like right there, right out of the gate. So I, I think we're headed for a fixed roof um, with a largely privately funded, and again, private's a weird word because it's not technically private money, but it's not really public money either. You need to read the fine print on this, but I thought that was interesting. So I think fixed roof is probably where we're going to end up. Um, and I think it's, again, it's going to run from Oracle to like, <laughs> you know, all the way to Murfreesboro Pike. So. I mean, having it covered just makes so much sense. And so yeah. I don't care how it's covered after that. Just got to have it cut. There you go. Okay. If you have any questions, at FWordsPod, at Braden Gall, we will, I'm happy to answer any questions you have about the funding of this stadium. But just know right now, we're at about $1.2, $1.3 billion in funding for this new stadium. And not one penny of it is new taxpayer spending. Just that's all you need to know. Right. So far. So far. So far. It will come eventually, but so far, we're not there yet. Okay. Let's talk to the Saban stuff. Please, for the love of God, anything. Anything else? We're gonna, let's switch to the aftermath behind the <laughs> Saban versus Fisher, uh, I guess, Royal Rumble, if you want to call it. So good. Let's start off with Saban coming out and giving out a kind of a, one of those apologies where you're like, well, I'm sorry that you were offended. Right. Because he, sure, maybe it's a misstep to call out people by name. And specifically, but did he say anything wrong? No. Incorrect. And we'll get to who else agrees with that. But that's what we said on the on the show on Thursday was actually that all of it, it all panned out. There wasn't anything that he said that was factually incorrect. Right. Mike Florio should take notes. Yes. <laughs> there was nothing in there. Now, as we said on Thursday, like you cannot use the phrase bought his entire team. 
Like you have to know that's kind of incendiary when you're the biggest, most powerful coach in the but history. He was of the also game. in like five minutes into a seven minute yes. rant. Like you, this stuff just. Goes. I know, I know. It just gets. So Fisher, and and I've had some, now I've had some time to like think it through, and I think we were pretty. I think I don't think I would change much of what we said on Thursday. I think most of it was in the moment going, look, these are two egos with a lot of faux out. I think you used the term faux outrage. Yeah. There's a lot of that that happened with this. I think the most important thing that people need to know about a lot of like posturing and like yelling at each other is that the future, very clearly that the the future of college football as it is constructed today is unsustainable. Like that's really what's at the root of all of this is that Saban's like, well, we can't be doing this. And Fisher's over here going, well, we can, but blah, 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 blah. And then like Lane Kiffin's with popcorn. The Big Ten doesn't know what's going on. Texas and Oklahoma want to join. Like there's playoff expansion. There's the portal. There's all this stuff. The bottom line is it's unsustainable. Right. And what's going to happen because it's unsustainable is stuff like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you really get down to it, everybody, I think I think almost every coach agrees across the NCAA. I, I would almost venture that you'd get pure unanimous support behind regulations and whether or not lack of them is going to be sustainable for college football and college football's health. I I think, I think you'd be very hard pressed to find anybody because even you, you you left off a name and I brought him up multiple times. Deion Sanders two or three weeks ago talked about that this was going to be unsustainable and how it's going to kill small school programs pretty much instantly. And I I look at it. I, I get that the apology should have been out there, but the more I think about it, the more I think that Saban should have really just stuck to his guns and say, look, if, if that guy wants to be sensitive over there and Texas A&M, he can't be man enough to pick up a phone because he's, a, he's afraid he's, or whatever he, he is. A&M are in their feelings right yeah, now. Yeah, they're, they're sure. way in their feelings. Yeah, sure. And that's fine. That's fine with me. But at this point, what I said was true. What I said was very level-headed. Someone said that he, uh, it was someone from The Athletic said, that it, he went off or a fiery rant no. is how they described it. And if you watched it, no, that is not a fiery rant. You want to see a fiery rant. You, you turn on an Alabama game when a ref does something screwed up. That is a fiery rant. That was a no. very methodical laid back answer of a guy that was just, he was just, uh, just talking. He was just, you know, talking and just let yeah. it all out. And maybe there was a little bit of underlying frustration, but at the, at the end of the day, I don't think it's really, no. There was nothing he, he should apologize for. And I think that if anything, Fisher's just kind of a kind of a baby. If he didn't say the phrase Texas A&M or Jackson State, literally just didn't use those those words. I think by and large, you're going to you would have seen very little reaction to this. I think most coaches would have come out. And this is what we joked about even on Thursday. It's like, dude, in your press conference, Jimbo, you said that you agreed with him. Right. Like even while you're yelling at each other. You both said that you agreed that there needs to be some sort of uniform regulation. So again, all of this stems from the lack of uniform regulation, right? Which is just where we are in college football. And I, I think that they're going to all meet this week in Destin. Well, I think we're going to next see, week, right? Uh, at end of this week and then next week. I think we're going to see things like divisions get go away. And I think this will be a heavy focus. Is are we? What are we doing here with this? Will what, they kiss on? and make up at? So Heck this is a thing. Can I, like, I hope not just as a, right, right. Selfishly, of- <laughs> we hope that this thing continues and it gets worse. And we hope yes. that there is some kind of like a, like in civil captain America, civil, civil war, the movie. You're going to lose you, me on this. Well, you have kids. How do you not watch Marvel movies? Wait, the four-year-old can't watch Marvel movies Why not? yet. She can, she can't, she gets scared by star Wars. Well, this is so my, way, so my way, five-year-old loves yeah. like parts of the Caribbean and star Wars. And it's a little like, it pushes the boundaries on like, 
terrifying that like your your child's your kids cannot go see multiverse of madness which is the newest doctor strange movie but they can watch almost all previous iron or iron man so i tried so it's funny you mentioned iron man because i love iron man i tried and i'm not a big comic movie guy but you are and i like iron man i tried to get her to watch iron man the very first scene in the very first iron man movie is like a bunch of dudes getting their heads blown off in like afghanistan my wife was like, what the hell are you doing showing this to the five-year-old? Listen, so, hey, listen. And I'm not one of those parents that yeah. like, I, I don't put the, like, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, protect her from everything. I think yeah. she needs to see stuff. And I, I'm, I saw Jurassic Park. We don't listen to that Disney shit. I saw Jurassic Park when I was seven. And uh, I think. Uh, they like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Well, that's worse than. You think so? Yeah. I mean, that's scarier. I mean, I don't know about these new Jurassic Park. Only when Park he's, movies, only when he's. The originals. Only when he's, when he reaches into the bathroom and like tears yeah. the guy's head off. Yeah. She was kind of like, whoa. Oh, T-Rex. Yeah. So you may, maybe I can push the boundary and get her into the, the well, universe. I, I'm anxious Sorry. to see if other coaches pick sides and there is a internal civil war among the SEC coaches. So this brings us to Greg Sankey, what he said. Right. Which is the public reprimand of both coaches, which I even think personally, like he has to do it. He doesn't want coaches out there saying, go investigate this cheater. No, no, you go investigate that cheater. Like that's not good for business. He doesn't want that. But you know what is good for business? Coaches yelling at each other and just being angry right. in general. I think the reprimand even felt disingenuous because if I'm the SEC, you're in the middle of NFL draft rookie camp, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, the PGA championship in Tulsa over the weekend at Southern Hills, all these big events in American sports. And what did we talk about last week? Saban versus It was Fisher. all SEC football. So right. don't tell me he wasn't happy about the attention that they got. Again, I think all the ins and outs and the details are fascinating, but a lot of it is just much to do about nothing. This is right. all about the unsustainability of our current situation in college football and how it has to change. Let me ask you a question because uh, Bruce Feldman, and I forget who else it was in The Athletic, put out an article this morning saying that normally when you get asked a question or you, or you ask someone in the SEC a question about Nick Saban possibly retiring, it's met with an eye roll. Now it is, and I, I think I brought this up last week or maybe just you and I talking about if Nick Saban were to win this year, would he retire? And now there's no eye rolls. There could be him retiring. I want to take this one step further. A little conspiracy theory. Oh, go for it. Greg Sankey becomes the face of NIL regulations for the entire college football and SEC commissioner Nick Saban. <laughs> I love, first of all, I love it. Uh, I talked to somebody three weeks ago, close to the Alabama program that said that they, he's not any, anywhere close to retiring. I just don't think he is. So, I mean, I agree. I think he's going to at least play out the full contract and may get another contract or may even try yes. to go Michigan State. Who knows? Now, he's, so, he, he's softened. He became a grandfather, <laughs> the tornadoes, you know, that whole thing. I think the pandemic. I mean, he's, he's becoming a, a, a slightly different personality. Like having the stance on voting rights is pretty, pretty unusual for him when he signed that letter to, like, to, to Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, about like, hey, can you support this Voting Rights Act? I think he is kind of becoming more comfortable and like having this other persona outside of just this badass rock star football coach. I don't think he wants to give that up anytime soon because he knows. And really what, what this, I think we said this on Thursday too, what he was really doing in that quote was threatening the rest of college football. Everything he says is a threat. If you don't fix this problem, if you don't give us a, a, an adjustment on this issue, I will murder you with it. I don't know. That is what I'm he kinda, says every time. Like maybe he's campaigning to, for life after football. He's he's <laughs> you know he. I think, I'll vote for him. Listen, Greg Sankey becomes the, the head of the, the commissioner of the NCAA, commissioner, yeah. commissioner of the college and football playoff. Just, yeah, whatever you want, Colin. And then you add in Saban as SEC commissioner. Oh boy, that would be delightful. 
who I, I would have, I would have no problem with that. Although here's how about this? What about Sankey stays as commissioner of the SEC and Saban just jumps him? Oh man, to be commissioner of college football. I I think that would be that would be awesome because you, I would love to see the reaction of people that he's just recently offended. First off, you know Deion Sanders <laughs> and Jimbo Fisher, but then think about Dabo Sweeney. He's yep. over there in Clemson. Yep. The Pac-12, you know. By the way, funny that Dabo hasn't said a word about any of this because he's so antiquated that he doesn't think any of this is what we're supposed to be doing. Right. These, meanwhile, Jimbo's like, this is so legal. Why are y'all like, like, I'm not a criminal. This is so legal. Nick's like, this is legal, but like, it's a, it's crazy. Dabo doesn't want any of it to happen. And, and, well, the Auburn, word. the Auburn football coach is just down there just chilling like, hey, <laughs> y'all, y'all don't remember me at all. I'm happy. Did you see him tweet? Oh, no. I oh, my God. So this is one of my favorite things. And I got to credit Chris Marler from uh, from uh, Saturday Down South on this. I was talking to him on, on the Fringe Element podcast, by the way. Go rate, review, subscribe. Uh, he said, did you see Brian Harson's tweet? And I said, no. He goes, he goes, in the middle of the biggest public relations firestorm in like modern SEC history, the greatest press conference in the history of college football, in my opinion, he's over there tweeting, can't wait to get back to Jordan-Hare Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a human being? You're just like a robot over there who's under all kinds of pressure from boosters. So, so who's next? I mean, is Davo Sweeney going to be the next guy that takes another big so. swing at the NIL in general? And or maybe I don't know. I hope what so. recruiting classes are looking like for the ACC. But so if Tennessee had a fiery coach, then I would think Josh Heupel would be the guy to do this because he's got a collective that is up and running faster and better than almost anybody else, other than maybe Texas A and M. But he's not that kind of... He's just such like an old dad. Like he's not really... And I say that complimentary as a middle-aged dad. <laughs> like As an old dad yourself. Yes, I, with your two-day no, can hangovers. We, can, we, can we go with middle-aged and not old? Just for a couple more years, please? Okay. Um, yeah, we can get to two-day hangovers later on in the show. I don't like rain delays at soccer matches. How about that? Uh, it leads to poor, poor decision-making. Um, no, I think Hypel would be... If I, if I, if it, I wish Jeremy Pruitt was still employed for the first time in my life. I've wished Jeremy Pruitt. Or Butch Jones. Butch, Butch Jones. Jones would yes. Butch, fun. Butch Jones would step in it and put both feet in his mouth. I like Lane is calculatingly quiet on this stuff. Like he knows that he can like popcorn emoji and get people fired up about it. But like he knows that if you say anything, because every time Dabo has said anything, it's been the stupidest shit. It's like, I don't think these athletes should get paid. I can't believe the professionalization of the sport and lack of this and lack of that. And I'm like, Clemson's spending more money than anybody on this stuff. Like it's so Dabo doesn't. He's he's out of touch. Uh, so somebody at Tennessee would be the qualified one because of how big their collective is and how much money they're spending on acquiring talent. Texas is the one to watch. Gotcha. Texas is the one to watch because Steve Sarkeesian and their collective, they're doing the same thing A&M is. They're raising all kinds of money. Hey, for hey they just lost to USC that uh, the Blitnikoff. Yes. Winner. Jordan Addison transferred from Pitt to USC, which there was some rumblings of tampering and all that stuff. But Texas, they know they're going to have to up their recruiting game to join the SEC in a couple of years. They're big, bad Texas, and they're watching A&M get all the th- get, steal all the headlines. So I would watch out for Steve Sarkeesian in Texas playing a role in the in the the public feud that we're talking about here. That would be so good. Would Jimbo Fisher have made these comments if he hadn't beat Nick Saban this last no, year? I think that's a great point. You, you know, we talked about they're all he's in their, feeling himself. Yes, they're all in their feelings. So last summer, I think it was Saban said to Jimbo, "Hey, what are you going to do? Beat me on the golf course?" Like there was a kind of a one liner where. Somebody asked Nick, like, hey, are you worried about AM catching up or whatever? And they're gonna they're gonna beat you this year. And he's like, Yeah, what do you mean on a golf course? And then AM went out and beat him. <laughs> yeah. And then they went out and beat him on the recruiting trail. And so Jimbo's clearly like, This is my time. This is my time right. to strike. I'm puffed out a little bit. I'm running around, feeling all cocky. I'm gonna say some stuff because I feel it. 
And I think they're going to go to Tuscaloosa on October 8th and get curb stomped. Let me ask you a question. Okay, so he goes and gets he. What would he have to lose by? How many points would he have to lose by for? And what would the final record need to be for them to fire Jimbo Fisher this year? Uh, Never, never. Well, he's got a guaranteed contract, which is really weird. But he is. They are. They've developed so well as a program under him. They've recruited extremely well. They've spent tons of money. Like they're going to give him the the opportunity. They were people forget A and M was fifth in the nation at the end of the season two years ago. They they were one spot from the playoff, and I think everybody laughs at A and M as like this team that can't win the big one, and they've struggled to do that. But the year they beat Florida with Kyle Trask as the Heisman Trophy two years ago in twenty twenty, they they were the fifth best team in America. They almost made the playoff, and last year they beat Alabama. So he's he's doing things in College Station. They just need to finish the deal. And that's what they haven't been able to do is finish, finish the job, beat the teams they're supposed to. They're going to be preseason top seven or eight, though, this year. So they could be undefeated going to Tuscaloosa on October 8th. And if I'm ESPN or whoever's carrying, I think it's ESPN that's carrying that game. I would be I would be running promos right now. Like I'm running like game day is going to be there. You know, if, show if up. listen, if I was the NCAA, I would be shifting this to a primetime game week one. <laughs> I would open up with this game on primetime because if yeah. for whatever reason, Texas A&M is not as good as what people think, then people are going to be less interested come the week in October. I believe it is October 8th. Yep. October 8th. It's, it's already been, I, I think at the time, the T if you went and looked at the time on the game, I think it's already changed to TBD. Yeah. Which means they're going to flex it into either the three, the two thirty or the six o'clock, seven o'clock time. Yeah, Cause slot. to me, I'm thinking that it's not, it's going to be ugly. dude. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be, ugly. Gonna be so, so you might want to put that at the very beginning. I, I'm with you on, on the strategy. They don't have that ability because <sighs> it's the school, it's the school life. schedules are made like 25 years in advance. Oh, wow. it's, it's very stupid. Yeah. It's stupid. So um, the, the aftermath, I think the most important takeaway again is just, just like with the Titan Stadium, like there's this money and there's this money. With this, is, it's, it's not about what Jimbo says or what Nick says. It is about that, that we are in a time of chaos in college football where we, this is not going to last. This won't, this, the sport cannot survive like this for much longer. There's going to be changes. And my guess is that that is a 40 or 50 team breakaway from the NCAA that ends up with three or four super conferences and they're going to make their own rules. And if you want to go to an SEC school, you're going to make $40,000 a year. There'll be a salary cap, basically. Is, right. Is, I think that's the direction we're headed. And there's obviously going to be a salary cap. And then there's obviously going to be people who hate that there's a salary cap, who don't understand economics. And that's okay. <laughs> Not everybody has to have an economics degree to understand, you know, what is good for college football. That's what these other people that are in positions of power are for. Yeah. You, not everybody's a capologist the way you are. Yeah. Well, you know. Dead money. Everybody could be me. You know about dead One money. One of a kind. You know about dead money. Which brings us to the Tennessee Titans. And year number two, and obviously OTAs will start on Tuesday, a bit 9 a.m. or so. Um, I'm not really, I don't know what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to just sort of like seeing where people are in their development, seeing who's there, even though like it doesn't matter if Derrick Henry's not there. Um, but what I'm really interested what in... What if Derrick Henry showed up? That would just like great. destroy some national football or college or local football talk. What is the deal though with like, like why? People are cre- uncreative. <laughs> Not everybody can come up with topics like we do. Let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> you know. uh, so year, we want to take a deep dive and look at the, the last year's draft class, 2021 for the Tennessee Titans. Caleb Farley, Dylan Radens, Elijah Molden, Monty Rice, Dylan Fitzpatrick, Rashad Weaver, Racy McMath, Brady Breeze. Uh, peace out, Brady Breeze. Um, I also think you should include Naquan Jones. 
That's fair too. Yes, actually, Naquan Jones is 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 worthy of being discussed. So you want to go draft draft pick one, Caleb Farley, down to the bottom and Let's just work it. through this. So what we'll do is we'll kind of set up, you know, again, what happened, a quick little recap, and then what do we think is a reasonable expectation for these players moving forward? Caleb Farley played three games last year. We all know about the torn ACL. He played 60 snaps total on defense. He played 14 snaps total on special teams. Not the numbers you want out of your number one corner. I will say watching him in camp, though, and this is a very like kind of silly, but but like I, I find it to be meaningful. Athletically, he is the most athletic looking corner I have seen in my time covering the Titans. So in just camp drills and just like movement and size and speed and fluidity. Now, mentally, last year at camp, every single drill, he was being like pulled aside, set at the back with the, with the defensive coaching staff saying, what do you see? Like he was working on mental reps a lot right. last year, but physically every single tool is there. So if he's healthy, I think he's a really big asset. Which for all intents and purposes, they, you're talking about a guy that's probably going to get one of those off-season awards for the defense. You know, they always do these off-season awards, but oh, who yeah, put yeah. in the work? Who put in the effort? Who's the leader on this team for the off-season and all that kind of stuff? And if it's if one of them's not poor, poor Caleb Farley, I'd be totally surprised. What was the date? I don't have the date in front of me. Was it like October 18th or something like that? I'm guessing here you guys can correct me on, on the date he actually tore the ACL. Was it the Buff? Buffalo game, maybe? I can't remember. Yes, I believe he went out the Buffalo game. So two-thirds of the season he had to recover and then the entire offseason. What are expectations in your mind for Caleb Farley? Well, I I think that you're wanting him to be the guy. You saw what Christian Fulton did last year. You want him to beat that. And because he is supposed to be the number one outside guy, shut down corner for all intents and purposes, not only for this team, but he was supposed to be that guy in the NFL based on his draft stock, his prospect stuff. Now... I think when you look at what Christian Fulton did last year and the massive jump, which in a similar form and fashion, he got injured in midway point through last year or through 2020, and he comes back 2021, and he's pretty much outstanding. I think the only two wide receivers to give him real problems was Jameson Crowder when Christian Fulton got put in the slot in the Jets game due to injury. They put him in the slot, and it was a mismatch. Jameson Crowder kind of broke his ankles. And then Debo Samuel, who just manhandled Christian Fulton. And Debo Samuel does that to all people normally. So you're looking for Caleb Farley to be better than Christian Fulton. Now, that's maybe an unreasonable expectation, but I think that's an expectation you should have for a a first-round draft pick who was considered a top-10 player at certain points during the draft cycle and probably the best corner in that draft. And he's healthy. You want him to stay healthy. And obviously, like I said, probably a little unrealistic, but if at least if he matches Christian Fulton's production at the yeah. at the outside corner spot, I think you walk away feeling really good about year three, like you are about Christian Fulton. And then you're feeling really good about the, the cornerbacks as a whole anyway. I, I think it's one of the deepest cornerback rooms in the league. And one of the deepest I've seen for the Titans in a long time. I, I'll, I'll agree with you. I think it's a, by far the deepest that the Titans have I, seen. From an upside talent standpoint, it's exceptional here's I, I would I'll agree with you up to a point I think what you want out of Caleb Farley is for him to be the clear number two behind Christian Fulton but mm. but but that they but that it feels like you've got two guys like a 1a 1b yeah scenario. like I, I think it's it might be a little unfair to ask him to be as good as Christian Fulton last year again I think he Fulton started two games his rookie season he only played in six he played in he started all 13 games he played in last year he gave up like 51% completion percentage which is like astonishingly good um 6.9 yards per target i think last year for Christian Fulton i think if you can get 
let's say 80% of Christian Fulton last year from Caleb Farley this year, meaning, meaning the signs are there that he is recovered, that he's back and that he's the right guy that they selected. Maybe you don't get Christian Fulton level of elite production, but you're getting, he's on his path to that. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. So then you have Fulton at one, Farley at two, and you know who your cover corners are for the next couple of years. I think I would be a little disappointed if Caleb Farley wasn't the one. Like, okay. the, and the reason being is because you're talking about, they, they kind of both have that same pedigree, right? They got drafted yeah. lower than what they should have. Christian Fulton, at many points, was a first-round pick who fell all the way into the second. Yep. And to me, I almost, in my mind at this point, I swapped the Isaiah Wilson, Christian Fulton draft picks. And treat Basically. Christian Fulton as a number that's, as the first rounder, and Isaiah Wilson as second rounder. That's they, Evans and Landry. Yeah, right, like, right. Right. They 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 traded. They passed on Evans to get Landry later, and they probably should have gone the other. Day. I, I don't want Farley to end up being the guy that we're talking in that scenario where they where they okay. swap. I want him okay. to be Jeffrey Simmons, not uh, okay. Jason McCordy. I guess. What, what I mean, if Jason McCordy wasn't bad? But I want. What if it to takes be, two years to get to that? And it may, but I think that if you're asking for 80% of what Christian Fulton was last year, I think that's a little low of X. I think he needs to match what Christian Fulton did. Okay. I think that's fair. I mean, like you said, first round pick, paying him like that. Uh, Dylan Radins. I I think, I think Dylan Radins is, is such a like punching bag for Titans Twitter. I'm not sure I agree with that. I understand. I I think it's the Titans fault that he's a punching bag. Now I want to get to you on that for a second. So he played 12 games last year, only started one game. He only played 15% of the snaps all season long. That's 124 snaps. Is he actually snaps. active for 12 games? 12 games. How about the 18% of the snaps, 58 snaps on special teams? Here's the numbers that I find interesting, though. He played his three games in which he played the most last year. He played 100% of the snaps against San Francisco. He played like 35% of the snaps against Kansas City. And he played like 30% of the snaps against the Colts. So the three games in which he played the most, especially the 100% of the snaps against San Francisco, Win against the playoff team, win against the playoff team, win against the Colts. So the three games in which he played the most. There is no correlation, Zach. Chill out. I'm not suggesting that. Are you suggesting that Raidens is is that he should have started the Bengals game is what I'm He's the reason they beat the Niners, guys. It wasn't AJ Brown. It was actually (laughs) Dylan Raidens. The the point is, is that they plugged him into a difficult situation against San Francisco. He played 100% of the snaps and they won the game. So again, we can but look, he was the worst offensive lineman on right. that game. We can look back and look at the success rate and the the pass block rate and all that stuff. The point is, is I think he he did show some progress in development. I trust Mike Vrabel and the coaching staff to develop him. We know that he's probably going to play guard. <laughs> I, I think so. So I I think he's the expectation for me is that he starts double digit games at left guard or is consistently in the rotation at left guard, and when he's in there, is a solid contributing player. He doesn't have to be great. He just needs to be a solid contributing player that plugs a hole. If he's not a starter day one, week one, uh, the Dylan Radins thing, I'm, I'm out on him. I don't think he'll ever be good. I don't think he'll ever start. He needs to come okay. in. All right. He needs to come in this OTAs, and wherever they put him, whether that's right tackle or left guard, or if they flip him around, he better damn well win a starting job in year one or year two. He needs to be a day one, week one starter. And if he's not, then they, they've they screwed up again with a draft pick and, of, of the, the tackle variety or the offensive line variety. And they need to uh, hope that and pray that NPF can do something because if you can't beat out Jamarco Jones, if you can't beat out a rookie, what good are you at this Brewer, point? maybe. Um, 
what if he st- what if he is the starting left guard by game five or six? What what, he, what is he, this? What took him so long to get there? Was there an injury? I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't. Have, this is hypothetical. I can say whatever I, I want. Well, I know, but I'm let's I'm asking you to clarify. Let's your say he starts the last ten games of the year, and he's just, and he's the starting left guard going into the playoffs. Are you okay with like saying, all right, we've got our guy at the left at the left guard? I'd be I'd be then questioning the staff and under trying to figure out why what took him so long. Well, he didn't play. Fo- I mean, but yeah, but now but that, you can't use that whole excuse year. anymore. You, that excuse has gone out. That excuse is for last year. That excuse. All right, that's fair enough. Year. You used up your excuse on last yeah. year. That's fair. I, I agree. I would like to see him be the starting left guard day one. I agree with you. Um, this I shouldn't did, be a Nate Davis rookie season situation in year eight games two. or whatever. Okay, yeah, in I, year two, and, I was and, about to and, use that yeah. comparison. <laughs> yeah, but that that was year one, Nate. No, I know, I know. And I know. year one, Nate had you know injuries. He had health issues. He never played in a preseason game. It is time for Dylan Radens to be whatever they thought he was going to be. I think that's and a be good a way. day one, week one. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I've got Elijah Molden written down here with some stats, but I'm not sure what we need to say about him. He started. He started. Played 16 games, started seven of them. This is a guy, 70-something tackles. He, you know, I think he gave up 41 completions on 61 attempts. He is, I mean, like he was drafted to do this, and he does this really well. He's physically developed when he got to camp last year as a rookie. He tackles really well. They can use him up. I mean, he was drafted to be Logan Ryan, and he already looks like Logan Ryan. So I don't, I think Elijah well, I, I think what you want to see is... Uh not have Christian Kirk give him problems or not have those mental mistakes where, um, yeah. you know, a deep ball is gone and he, because of a, a blown coverage that he's responsible for. Just like a wide open. Yeah. Which, which, he, yeah the- which he had issues with and that's okay. He's a rookie, but you want to see like the middle of the 12 game stretch in the middle of the season where he was just lights out. You want to see that for 17 games plus playoffs. I'll go with that. I'm and and I and I I think people are kind of underestimating his size and his ability to be able to cover a tight end. He is thick. He he's thick. Two C's. Well, and I don't. Under, the thing is, is like does two inches between him and Dane Crookshank really make that big of a difference with tight ends? Because let me say this: That's we saw him physically knock the ball out of bigger tight ends, or fumbles, and or make tackles on bigger tight ends with fairly with ease, and. I know a lot of people want to say that Dane Crookshank was the tight end eraser, and I really don't have a problem with that. But there were games where, like the San Francisco game, he only played 11 snaps that in yeah. coverage snaps. So you can't give him credit for erasing George Kittle when he barely played. <laughs> I, I, I think it's Kate. I think knowing his physical skills, like he's going to play bigger than his size, he's more physical than his size. I think you're right that asking him to be that designated tight end guy, I think, is totally fair. Um, I think Theo Jackson's going to bring some of that to the table. Actually. And I also think so. that the next guy we talk about could bring a little bit of that too, because I think, I think what you're doing, what they're going to do, because they love versatility, right? Oh yeah. Mix and match, baby. I, I exactly think that. I think it's going to be a tight end eraser by committee. <laughs> a sentence uttered by all sports talk yes. shows across the country. And from here on in, everybody's going to be talking about tight, the, tight, tight end, end eraser, eraser by, by committee. committee. <laughs> so that brings us to Monty Rice, their fourth round pick. Um, or no, late, late third round pick there. 10 games last year, four games started, 36 tackles, uh, played 179 snaps. That's about a quarter of the snaps on defense. He played 21% of the snaps on special teams. Here's what I thought was interesting. The three games where he played the vast majority of the snaps, where he played like 70% of the defensive snaps, were the Colts, the Saints, and the Texans. 
they allowed 83 yards rushing, 86 yards rushing, and 83 yards rushing. So again, not suggesting that like Dylan Radens was the reason they beat the Niners. I'm just saying that the games in which he played the most, their rushing defense was pretty sound. And that's the area where we know he's the best. To me, it was his drops and his speed and his agility that was the question. And I think we're going to see a, a quicker, faster Monty Rice in see, camp. I, I thought it was different because I, I viewed him as a guy that had the speed, the ability to be in coverage more so than I had him being a run defender in the, in the prospect, in the draft, the draft process. It's, My, the, it's the quick twitch yeah. space ability that concerns me against like Alvin Kamara type guys. Right. You're looking at a linebacker that is going to be a probably he's a third down. He's your third down linebacker. That's what you want him to be because Zach Cunningham, um, Zach Cunningham only played 21% of third down snaps. So in the and they end, might use him in a lot of different. Yeah, I think Monty Rice is going to be the guy that comes yeah. in on third down with that pairs with David Long or maybe even Chance uh, Campbell in certain rotations. But you want to see him take he, his missed tackle percentage needs to come down. And that's the yeah. big thing because he was really he had really struggled with some missed tackles. Do you expect Monty Rice to play a pretty big role? Yeah, I, I think he was trending that way. Okay. I, I think that you're talking about a guy that they viewed was a, a, someone that could contribute on the defense and they were not scared to put him in. Okay. I, I like I, I like both Molden and Rice to be fairly substantial contributors this year. Uh, I think Molden more so than, than Rice. Molden's the one I think the, the, is the safest of all of these. Which brings us to Des Fitzpatrick played four games, I, five catches for 49 yards. Like expectations could not be lower for this guy. So it, on a team that desperately needs wide receivers, if he did anything at all to make himself better, he could find himself into a rotation. Like there's space for the rotation here. I also don't think they draft two wide receivers in this year's draft if they weren't concerned about Des Fitzpatrick's development. Yeah, I, I will be interested to see what, that's the story of OTAs. What is Des Fitzpatrick at this point? Because to me, you can lump Des Fitzpatrick and uh, you you can basically put Des Fitzpatrick, Racy McMath, all in one thing. I don't care what they do because that to me they're not contributors, and because they prove they mess up more than they do uh, well yeah. during the game. So to me, I don't want them on the field unless they prove something in preseason. Big, big difference between McMath and, and Fitzpatrick. 8% of special teams plays for Fitzpatrick in those four games, whereas McMath played over 60% of the special yeah, teams. Yeah, but they also drafted a bunch of special teams guys know, again. So, you know, what good... I, I, I don't agree. think they're in love with Racy McMath. I don't think that yeah. they're in love with Davis Fitzpatrick. Those, the onus is on those two guys to step in and prove everybody wrong. Uh, they Davis Fitzpatrick and Racy McMath played a combined 200 snaps total last year on offense, which is not very many. Um, uh, Rashad Weaver, two games last year before he got hurt, of course. We'll take the off-the-field stuff out of the equation altogether, but he only played one defensive snap in his first game, then he played 11 the next game. This is actually a guy I think who's going to have a big year, big relative to his position, which I think will be the backup outside linebacker to either Dupree or Landry. Like I think he's going to play a pretty prominent role off the edge because I think they're very comfortable with what they saw. Again, what I saw in camp last year before he got hurt was a pretty physically powerful, impressive young guy. And I think he's going to be a good player for them. Him and Danico Autry are going to be kind of used the same way all over the line, all over yep. the defense. And you're talking about, and we, we have frozen. Don't anybody freak out. We're frozen. Oh, just we're frozen. Oh no, that's okay. We're getting new battery. Wait, wait, literally camera. the camera has been removed. Yeah. We're getting a new, it's okay. <laughs> we're getting a new battery for the camera. So you don't need to see me to hear that. I think that Rashad Weaver is going to be used a lot. Like Danico Autry is going to be placed all over the line. 
It does. It doesn't matter whether you classify him as defensive end, outside linebacker, edge rusher. He's going to be everywhere. You're talking about a guy that's probably going to be around five sacks. I think is where you should set your expectations for. See, we're back. No big problem. So we're back. That was a, five, that was a pretty quick change there yeah, by uh, it's, it's like by a cast collective. Very it's like fast. A, it's like F one uh, pit stop. <laughs> You and your, you guys and your F1, man. It's, it's great if you're not watching F1. I'm with oh, you, dude. I'm with you. I'm with you. Do you want to... Weaver. I like, I like Weaver a lot, yeah. Five, oh, five or more sacks is what you need to be okay. getting out of Weaver, I think, to find it to be successful because he's going to play a lot of snaps, barring suspension. That's still hanging out that, there. That's true. I, I think I want to see him make an impact on a pass play routinely in the game, and I think he can do that. So I'm actually excited. He's one of the guys I'm actually mo- more excited about. Uh, Brady Breeze was drafted, but every single snap he played was for, for Detroit. So, um, all right, you want to go Naquan Jones? Naquan Jones, uh, you want to seem to be used continually as a rotational starter, I think, because he's going yep. in and out with Tier Tart. You want to see him take that next leap. He ended up with 2.5 sacks last year. Uh, let's up it. Let's go 4.5 sacks. That's, that's you're, you're playing next to Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah. You're, you're, you got a great defense behind you as far as the defensive backs, the linebackers. He showed last year, because he's one of those guys that, that basically he was the undrafted free agent that Vrabel could not stop talking about. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you want to, I think he, uh, based on those comments last year, based on his performance through games last year, I think it's realistic to expect another two sacks added to his total. I think I, that's, I think that's realistic. And I think that's fair. And if you're counting him as a part of this draft class, then you need to count him as part of the, the job John Robinson did building the right. roster. So, I mean, you, you got to count these UDFAs that come in yep. and build and that John Robinson actually develops. And I, I am with you. Like if I'm interested in what Dylan Radins is doing, what Caleb Farley's doing, what Rashad Weaver's doing and where Des Fitzpatrick and Racy McMath, did they give up seeing that there were two wide receivers drafted? Yeah. You know, did they, are they now butthurt? No, use it as motivation. Yeah. Well, will they though? That's what I'm saying. No, I yeah. mean, that's what you got to do. That's what uh, you got to do. And money, uh, and money, dude, I, last year's draft class, I still think there's a lot of upside and potential for last year's draft class to have a really big impact on this team. So uh, I think everybody likes to overreact to evaluating a pick like in the moment. And certainly the Wilson thing is never going to help John Robinson, but if you look at his drafts with Conklin, Henry, and Byard in one year, Davis, Adoree Jackson, John U. Smith, J.M. Brown another year, Rashawn Evans, Landry, Crookshank, when they only had like four picks in 2018, Simmons, A.J. Brown, Nate Davis, Amani Hooker, and David Long yeah. in one draft class. And then you go Christian Fulton and, and Merch and Chris Jackson. I'm not counting Isaiah Wilson or Darrington Evans, and that's not even his fault. Darrington Evans isn't really his fault, really. Um, but if you had if Farley and Raidens, Molden and Rice all play regularly, those are the picks that matter. Your top three right. round picks are the picks that matter. So then you add in Rashad Weaver, who's yes, obviously he fell because for all of the, intents and purposes, yeah. Rashad Weaver is going to be a viable starter going forward. Yeah, or and in our rotation, and he would have been a want to do it, and he would have been like a second round pick if he hadn't gotten in trouble because he was kind of a tool bag. Yeah, that's fine. It is what it is. You hopefully you <laughs> you deal with that and you learn your lesson and you don't do it again. Right. Um. All right. Anything else? Are we good? I think um, we're good. No comments. No questions. No. No comments. No questions. Um. Two day hangover. Yeah, so you, I was going to ask old. if you went to the uh, rain game. 39 years old. I did. So I went uh, went with some buddies to the game on Saturday. Oh, did so not, you went with buddies. That's the two-day hangover combined yeah. with the water. Yeah, so the we, we stuck it out for about 45 minutes um, waiting for the game to come back on. We saw the 18 minutes, and then we were like, all right, we're out of here. And we walked down to a brewery. Then we walked to a bar that was not a brewery. Like I, I'm in the phase of my life where I like to sit at a table with a beer, like a nice beer, 
and like hang out with people and like be able to hear myself talk. Right. Not everybody in the group wanted to do that. You know, there's always like one or two guys in the group that want to go to the place where like you have to scream to the person next to you. Oh, you yeah, to, I'm out. You have to stand like this. You have to like, you have to talk with your faces like not. I would, I would, I'm at the point where I tell my friends, okay, you guys go do that. I'll be over here. I don't have to hang out with you. So it it was fun. It was great reliving my youth until like one in the morning for the first time in like five or six years. But I I paid for it on Sunday and uh, I woke up on Monday. I was, I was okay. I expected to be better. I don't think it's officially the first two day hangover in my life, but it was damn close, which means. I need to rein it in, Zach. Gotta, gotta, I need gotta, to get myself together. Sleep is important. <laughs> I think uh, there, there's these uh, double hydrating packs that you put in the water, okay. chug it. Can we get a sponsor out of the deal? I, I don't know. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But listen, <laughs> nice you know what my, my friend does is that he'll take one of those and because it's mainly just electrolyte, powdered electrolytes. He'll put it in a shot glass, put water, just put it in there, and basically it almost turns into a sludge. Ooh, and he just disgusting. takes it. You get more electrolytes that way. They, right, well. they get in your system. You got to do that before, or ten gulps of pickle juice. I, I could use some electrolytes. Um, generally, I just hydrate before, like all day long. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what we're coming. I'll tell you what we're going to talk about on Thursday in just a second. But uh, special thanks to Cast Collective being back in the studio. Ah, Great to good. be here, man. Great to actually see you out the house. Yes, and to see your face to actually two people doing content on the internet like yeah. together. Yeah. Go figure. That's yeah. amazing. Um, special thanks to Cast Collective, Cast underscore Collective on Instagram. You can check them out. Build KG, our wonderful sponsor, of course. That's uh, buildkg.com. The Kingston Group is the name of the company. I should tell you that. Um, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They're amazing. They're fantastic people. Literally, the, I use them in my house. So I, I tell, I'm telling you, you can trust them. So go check out the Kingston Group. Football and other F words is the podcast. Broadway Sports Media is where all the writing takes place. Listen to all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network, Fringe Element, Gold Standard, Club and Country, Lamestream Sports, all that great stuff. Just type in 440 into your podcast app. That just about does it. Coming up on Thursday, why the SEC will get rid of divisions and why you should love that idea. We'll do that on Thursday along with all the reactions from OTAs, all the overreactions, I should say, from OTAs. His name's Zach. My name's Braden. Thank you guys for listening. This has been a football show, Monday edition, right here on the 440 Sports Network.